1: So it looks like Sniplama is back in the news. Hey, everyone, say that with me: (laughs) Sniplama. That's the fantastically awkward acronym for the Southern Nevada Public Land Management Act. It's a pretty obscure federal law, but it affects every Las Vegan because, basically, it's been guiding how our city looks and has grown since its passage in 1998. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we explore how Sniploma made Las Vegas the darling of developers and some, but not all, conservationists. In the modern political landscape, public land sales are once again primed to shape our valley, but it could look very different this time. Nevada Independent Reporter Gabby Bierenbaum helps us navigate the complicated terrain. It's Monday, August 28th. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Nevada Independent Reporter Gabby Bierenbaum, welcome back to CityCast Las Vegas.
2: Thank you, David. Thanks for having me.
1: You just wrote a massive two-parter for the Nevada Indy about the public land model that is pretty unique to Nevada. Let's start with the person most associated with sort of our policy in public lands in Nevada. And that, of course, is former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, the boy from Searchlight, Nevada. Gabby, how would you generally describe Harry Reid's model of public land brokering?
2: Yeah, this was something that Harry Reid really pioneered throughout his decades um, in the Senate and specifically in the 2000s in this case and during the Bush administration is when he did the bulk of these land spills. So the way the model worked is that Harry Reid working with either uh, John Ensign for most of these, but before that Richard Bryan, their respective staffs would go out um, into different counties in Nevada and they would learn about various what they call encumbrances On pieces of land that they wanted to resolve.
1: And encumbrance just basically meaning um, property that couldn't be used for any number of reasons.
2: Right. So throughout Nevada, as uh, pretty much most people in the state, I think, have interacted with this issue in one way or another, the vast majority of land is federal land. Some of those lands have conservation characteristics and are protected. Some of them have conservation characteristics, but are not protected. Those are called wilderness study areas. And at the same time, there's typically some demand, whether it's from counties, from towns, from the real estate community, for more private land that they want to be able to develop on. So what Harry Reid would do is he would then go into various counties, and they'd find ways to work out what would be a quid pro quo arrangement, where they would add new conservation protections on uh, typically existing public land, putting it into you know, further enshrining it into the public trust. And then they would pick parcels of public land that they could sell off to developers, to counties, to towns for private or municipal use. Uh, And these two things were always paired conservation and development. And that's how he went about using this model um, throughout a number of bills in the 2000s.
1: Yeah. And that's really interesting, because they often have competing interests, right? Conservationists and developers. And here's Harry Reid, I don't know. Let me dip into my analogy bucket and pull this one out, see if it works. Um, Let's say it's Halloween time and Halloween Harry Reid has one big candy bar that everybody wants. Two kids show up at his door. Uh, One's dressed up as, I don't know, an endangered species and the other one's dressed up like Mr. Monopoly with the monocle. And they both (laughs) want the full bar. But Harry Reid goes, all right, you'll get a piece of this candy bar because you're getting a different piece of the same candy bar and whether they're happy or not, they both got some candy and then Harry Reid slams the door in their faces.
2: Yeah, I think you pretty much you pretty much got it. I mean, people say that land use makes for weird bedfellows politically, and this was certainly no exception. I think the hallmark of a Harry Reid lands deal was that everybody would be a little upset about uh what they didn't get but everyone would get something the conservationists would get something the tribes would get something developers would get something municipalities would get something so uh basically the idea was that the car is leaving the station we're going to do a bill do you want some of what you want in there or do you want it to just move forward without you and so that's how we really got everyone to the table to negotiate and participate
1: yeah weird bedfellows weird analogies abound (laughs) what we do here in nevada seems to all start with something called sniplama the uh, Southern Nevada Public Lands Management Act. That goes back to 1998, thanks to Senator Richard Bryant. Uh, Gabby, can you explain the legislative sleight of hand that resulted in uh, SNIPLMA, uh, which does not roll off the tongue well, being a huge boon for Nevada?
2: Yep. So SNIPLAMA, weird acronym, an enormous impact. And I think that's part of why it was able to have that impact is because it was this weird little wonky Nevada-specific law that a lot of people at the time didn't realize what kind of impact it could have. So how that happened was um, Senator Bryan in the late 90s was looking to add to his conservation legacy. And he had this staffer who I spoke to, um, Brent Heberly, who had previously worked for Congressman Jim Bright, who had been voted out of office. And that's where the idea started to standardize the process by which Clark County exchanged land um, so Clark County was, if anyone was in Las Vegas in the nineties, I'm sure you can remember the enormous amount of growth, the boomtown energy that was going on at the time. And there was a huge demand for land.
1: Yeah. And I want to I'll stop you right there. Cause I want to hear the the rest of the Sniplima story, but prior to Sniploma, as I understand it, uh, there was this huge demand for land and it was being sold off, uh, BLM land, et cetera, that was being sold off. But the proceeds of that weren't necessarily staying in the state either, right? So how did Sniplama work its way through and maybe change that component too?
2: Exactly. Yeah. So with these land exchanges, they would go you know, on a parcel by parcel basis. The BLM could sell a piece of land to someone in the private sector typically. But there was a lot of controversy around that because by the time a sale was finalized, went through, land was appreciating so quickly in Las Vegas that the price of that land was basically already undervalued. And then the proceeds from those funds would go into the you know, general BLM treasury account, and they could be spent in Wyoming, they could be spent in Montana, they could be spent anywhere that the BLM has land. So the BLM people in Nevada were saying was profiting off of Nevada's enormous amounts of federal land, but not directing those proceeds to stay in Nevada. So what SNIPLMA did was create an auction system uh, by which they drew a boundary around Las Vegas, and they said all the land within this circular boundary can is available to be made private. So the BLM would prepare a parcel, sell it at auction to the highest bidder so that, you know, the market was determining um, the the rate there. And at some points even, I believe it got to $2 million per acre for certain parcels of land that were really valuable. And then, yep, the money generated from those sales would go towards a Nevada-specific account towards a number of priorities in Nevada, most of which are related to conservation. So a lot of those are for conservation initiatives in Clark County. That can be protection for threatened species. That can be new trails and parks. It can even be you know, new stalls in the bathrooms at Lake Mead. And then some of it also goes up to Tahoe towards you know wildfire management up there, improving the clarity of the lake, projects that are up in the Tahoe region in Nevada and California.
1: Some of those monies also go to education, as I understand it?
2: Yes. And so 5% goes towards education in Nevada, and 15% goes towards the Southern Nevada Water Authority, who uh, made the argument that all this new land is going to need water. So... Yeah, uh, you, you, need, you need to give money to us to be able to service it.
1: Sure, that makes sense. So, I mean, did anyone realize just how much money that would generate? Um, because it seems like it probably is generated quite a bit at those, at those figures that you mentioned.
2: Yep, so it's generated $4 billion. I think even the people in Senator Bryan's office were surprised just how big it was. But I think they certainly had an inkling. The difference was that a lot of people outside of Nevada did not have an inkling. A lot of people said to me, if anyone had realized just how much money this was going to generate... Uh, And just how politically advantageous this would would prove to be for the Nevada delegation, they might have never let it happen. And we might have never had a Sniploma.
1: You know, being on the ground here during that time, uh, it was clear to everyone, I think, that, you know, we were about to embark in the late 90s on a major glow up (laughs) of our city. (laughs) And it, it sounds to me that, you know, whether or not Senator Bryan realized how big that was or not, his colleagues, the feds, basically, they didn't predict any of it.
2: Yeah, I think people didn't. And it even I spoke to someone who talked about the uh, Congressional Budget Office analysis that came out of SNCCLMA that way undervalued how much money it was going to generate because they just had no appreciation understanding for the value of land in Las Vegas and how quickly it was increasing.
1: So did other western states follow our lead, or are we really the only ones doing it this way?
2: No one did. No one was able to craft a similar arrangement for themselves. Nevada, you know, has the unique issue of having so much federal land and having it be so close to Las Vegas. That's a bit of a difference in Salt Lake City, for example, or in Phoenix, which is surrounded by a lot of state land that the state of Arizona controls, and they're able to sell in order to manage growth around Phoenix and around Tucson. So the need for it was stronger in Nevada. And I think once it was clear how much money was going to generate, I don't know that any other state delegation would have been able to uh, get something like this through.
1: Yeah. And of course, Harry Reid growing in power uh, over this period of time probably didn't hurt things.
2: Yeah, there were definitely attempts to take down SNPMA. There were attempts to redirect where those funds go to, and there still are. There are people who say it should go towards the general treasury. There are people who wonder why that money doesn't go towards paying down the national debt. But every time they've tried to change it in the budget, uh, Harry Reid was able to defend Nifluma, and in recent years, the entire Nevada delegation—Republicans and Democrats—have successfully defended it as well.
1: Yeah, one of the rare bipartisan locksteps that everyone in the state uh, probably agrees upon.
2: Yeah, I think no one wants to be the one to, you know, keep the state from billions of dollars.
1: <laughs> yeah, I imagine that might be politically dangerous.
2: Not the best. <laughs>
1: Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas' most talked about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. So I'm going to oversimplify for just a second, Gabby. It seems like there's there's two components, what the developers can build and what the conservationists can preserve, just to Mm -hmm. oversimplify it. So given those two categories, what are some of the landmarks, I guess, in both that Sniplema has created in Southern Nevada that our listeners might be familiar with?
2: Yeah. So I think if you had an aerial image, which I do in the story of the Las Vegas Valley in the late 90s, and you have an aerial image today, you can see just how far sprawled out Las Vegas has become. You know, There's little lights popping up on Google Earth where there was just desert before. So a ton of master plan communities out in the suburbs. And then on the conservation side, you see this in trails at Red Rock. You see this in funding for Tahoe. You can see snippelma in a lot of public parks throughout Las Vegas and North Las Vegas. There's even uh, a multi-million-dollar pickleball complex that's going up in Las Vegas, and that's from snippelma money.
1: Oh wow, pickleball! Pickleball! Thank God!
2: Thank <laughs> God we got the money for pickleball. <laughs> Which is you know politically controversial in its own way, but uh, yes. Yeah, so just the very very makeup and look of Las Vegas was deeply shaped by snippelma on both the development and conservation sides.
1: So, Gabby. Between when this act was uh, made law in the late 1990s and 2006, there's a lot of stuff going on, but from 2006 through December of last year, there wasn't much action. Why was there so little activity during that period under Sniplama?
2: Right. So the SNIPLMA sales kept going. I think we're now on round 19 or so throughout, but in terms of lands bills passed through Congress, yeah, after 2006- there were no more uh, congressional lands bills until December of 2022 at the end of last year. So part of that uh, was that Harry Reid moved on to a few other conservation initiatives towards the end of his tenure. He had President Obama designate a national monument in Nevada. There were a few larger packages um, at the beginning of the Obama administration and near the end of the Trump administration that focused on public lands in other states. And then part of that is that after Harry Reid left in 2016, The institutional clout of having, you know, your state senator who's interested in really specific land initiatives for your state no longer being in the leadership and determining what gets to come to the floor when he was when Democrats held the majority meant that for Nevada, you know, the members, particularly Congressman Amidai over in the House, have introduced several land spills repeatedly, but it's hard for them to go anywhere when they don't control the relevant committees and ultimately the floor the way Harry Reid did.
1: So, Gabby, what current projects are being pursued under Sniplama from the rest of our delegation?
2: Yeah, so there's a few lands bill proposals that are floating out there right now. One of them is Congressman Amadei. His is called the Northern Nevada, uh, I believe it's called Economic Development and Conservation Act. That just really combines a ton of different lands priorities across the counties in the north. Here in Southern Nevada, Senator Catherine Cortez Masto is leading the charge on that. So she wants to further expand the Snippelma boundary by about 6,000 acres. That would allow for more development, mostly along the I-15 corridor out into basically towards the California border to expand Las Vegas out to there. In exchange, there would be about 2 million acres of new conservation throughout Southern Nevada. And then Senator Rosen as well has a proposal up in Northern Nevada and Washoe County.
1: With the Southern Nevada effort being led by Catherine Cortez Masto. I've heard that referred to as the Clark County Lands Bill. Correct. It seems to have divided conservationists. Can you tell me about that split of opinion and whether or not that's a good thing to be pursuing?
2: Yeah. So I think anytime you have um, something like lands bills where there hasn't been one in a while, it gives people, I think, some opportunity to reflect on the legacy. And uh, in the early 2000s, I think it was a different landscape for conservation and that climate change wasn't as uh, top of mind for a lot of people. And so conservation uh, was something people were very interested in, taking lands that oftentimes people are not developing anyway and giving them added conservation protections, making sure that they're forever enshrined in the public trust. But today, someone described this to me as environmental elitism, which I thought was a cool phrase that didn't make it into the story. Yeah, which is that conserving lands that, you know, a lot of times people aren't really using anyway, doesn't make up for um, incentivizing sprawl throughout Las Vegas and sprawling it out further and further, which means people spend more time in their cars, uh, creating more air pollution in a city that already has pretty bad air pollution. And so some people would rather efforts on land go towards what can be called retrofitting which is uh, sort of changing the way that we use land to use it more efficiently in Las Vegas. That can mean building, changing zoning to build upwards, building more apartments instead of sprawling out and building master plan communities and houses. It can mean incentivizing transit throughout Clark County and throughout Las Vegas so that people spend less time in their cars. And it can mean using existing empty plots of land in Las Vegas. There is some concern that uh, conserving areas and creating new conservation areas is not adequately environmentally responsible For the environmental damage you could be doing by incentivizing sprawl. So a lot of the conservationists I talked to are really worried about that. Even if those plots of land you're conserving are enormous, the environmental benefit that uh, those lands are able to provide through their lack of use is not as great as the damage you're doing when you're allowing sprawl.
1: And I also read in your story, The Lament, of many conservationists that some of the, you know, the great land swap that's being proposed are areas that would never, ever be touched by humans anyway. So it's not really giving anything away, mountaintops and things of that nature.
2: Right. Some people argue that, yeah, okay, adding a new conservation protection to the top of a mountain that nobody is turning into a mine or uh, a business park or a master plan community anyway, um, is not a lot of comfort for the sprawl.
1: Yeah, not, not a lot of Ikeas on the top of Mount Wheeler.
2: <laughs> I would hope not.
1: Part of that Clark County Lands Bill Act is to mm-hmm. extend the disposal boundary. Can you explain that for the listeners, what a disposal
2: boundary means? Yep. So the disposal boundary is a circle that uh, essentially members of Congress and their staffs drew around Las Vegas. And they said all the land that's public within this circle is eligible to be sold off. And each subsequent expansion, the Clark County lands bill in 2002 changed that boundary a little bit to expand it. And then the current proposal from Senator Catherine Cortez Masto uh, would also expand that boundary to make more land uh, eligible to be privatized.
1: Does Clark County even need to extend the disposal boundary? What are the arguments for and against that?
2: Right. Well, it depends who you ask. Obviously, the real estate community developers are very interested in expanding the amount of land they can build on. A lot of housing advocates really want this, affordable housing advocates. Um, they say the ability to build more housing you know, can help drive down the cost in a region that's been really burdened by high housing costs. Um, but on the other side are you know conservationists and environmental justice advocates who are worried about the impacts of sprawl.
1: Well, Gabby, this is fascinating uh, how land dealing happens in our, our community. I, I'd imagine uh, Las Vegas just wouldn't look the same way it looks today without SNIPLMA. So what does Sniplima and these subsequent land bills mean for the future of Las Vegas?
2: I think a lot of it's going to depend on whether Senator Cortez Masto uh, can pass another Clark County lands bill, because that would just, I think, further further continue the mission that SNIP Loma started, um, which was to build out Las Vegas beyond its sort of existing footprint. And so I think if we see more of these land spills in the future, we're going to see a Las Vegas that keeps following the trends it's followed for the last 25 years of, uh, depending on how you look at it, growth or sprawl, and of Lots of new conservation.
1: So IKEA right next to a master plan community all around Gene, Nevada. That's where we're getting next.
2: (laughs) Who who knows? Who knows where we're getting out into uh, in the desert?
1: All right. Gabby Birnbaum, thanks so much for your work on this complex and intriguing law and uh, for coming on CityCast Las Vegas today.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Dave, and letting me talk about this wonky issue.
1: That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. If you learned something new today, go share this episode with one of your friends. Knowledge, well, that's power. Hey, we'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Take care.
2: Mark Amade had a great quote to me. He said this, you know, people can complain all they want, essentially, but if you look at it, you know, the market's setting this rate, this isn't going toward. I liked this isn't going to build the uh, Harry Reid College of Goodness and Kindness. So right. he always says, you know, the ledger is clean on Simple Money. Invites everyone to to go look at the results of all the auctions.